You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode nine of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, and more. We're recording on Thursday, March 26th, 2015. Today we'll be discussing Periscope, Twitter's new app that allows live streaming and its competition, Meerkat. Apple buys database software firm FoundationDB and more about Apple's cloud services. Some new app releases like Fantastical 2 for Mac and Square Cash for the web. And do people still want a four-inch iPhone? We have with us this week Apple Insider Senior Editor, Mikey Campbell. Mikey, thanks for being here. Yep. <laughs> Mikey's going for the shortest welcome ever. We have contributor Shane Cole with us. Thanks for being here. Anytime. And contributing editor Victor Marks is here again. Hey, Victor. Yo. Yeah, I think Mikey still wins. And I'm Stephen Robles. So we have some good stuff to talk about this week. Today, we're recording on Thursday, and today Twitter launched their rebranded Periscope app where it brings live video streaming to mobile phones. It's for iPhone only right now. But obviously the news is, you know, Meerkat has been around for the past few weeks. Meerkat was an app that did exactly this. It connected via Twitter and you could live stream from your phone and people could watch live, you know, as from their, from the app or from Twitter. And we knew Twitter had bought Periscope a while ago and we were wondering what they were going to do with it. So they just launched it today and I thought it was really interesting. One, we could talk about the app itself. Personally, I think the app looks better than Meerkat's app. I think it does better quality video and all that. But just, it's crazy to see, how, even with the attention Meerkat has been getting, how many people seemingly jump ship right away. Even Jimmy Fallon, who was using Meerkat in the past week to like uh, broadcast his rehearsals and monologue stuff, like instantly did a Periscope today rather than a Meerkat. So... I don't know what that says for the future of Meerkat. Uh, don't oh. see, you see being around, but go ahead. It says that the people are easy to jump to the new hotness, especially when you have a following that will follow you. You know, Fallon is big. Right. Fallon has a huge audience. They're going to leap to whatever he chooses to do, so he right. can afford to try whatever new fancy app comes along. Right. And the problem is with Meerkat. Meerkat was originally plugged into the social graph of Twitter. And Twitter blocked access then. So, Twitter kneecapped it. Right, exactly. And obviously because they were launching their own first-party service. But again, it's I don't know how a third-party or a startup can compete with the first-party company launching a feature like this. You know, it's just... So I don't know about Meerkat. I know it was big at South by Southwest last week. But I don't know. Have, you, have any of you guys tried it today? At least watched one or broadcasted one? Yeah, I was watching the uh, explosion or the uh, building collapse in uh, New York. Oh, what was there just like a standby people doing it? There was a seven alarm Tons fire of, going on. Yeah. Did you see the yeah. fire? Is that what yeah, you're yeah. About? I just didn't yeah, know yeah. if it was like newscasters like, or just there's there's tons of people using both yeah. uh, Meerkat and Periscope. How did you find? Did you search for it in the Periscope app, or how'd you find those streams, Mike? Um, no. Well, in Periscope, it it just organically came to the top of the, the feed. But okay. obviously Meerkat doesn't have that. So Right, and that was the other thing. Like if you're not following people using Meerkat, just opening the app, it's kind of it's not easy to just find content. Which Periscope I mean, puts all right in front of you. I, I think this is the problem with Twitter in general. Yes, well and it's it's hard to develop in someone else's playground. Right? Twitter right. owns Twitter's playground. That's why they're able to kneecap Meerkat from the social graph. And this has been their attitude to clients all along. Well, right. I mean, it's the, it's the age-old story of building on top of any walled garden. Uh, exactly. Right. It would be the same with Apple. Apple just happens to not let anybody do so. <laughs> if you build, if you build on somebody else's land, they can knock your house down whenever they want to. It's the right. way it is. It's, it's the way it's always been. It's throwing, it's and throwing your weight around. Yeah. Developers have just sort of, developers have sort of just dealt with this. Uh, I think primarily because they're hoping to be acquired. Right. You build something yeah, they, awesome on somebody's platform and you hope they come along and say, well, we could build this too or we're just going to pay you $5 million. Yeah. I think they're ju just valued at $12 million today or something. I don't know. I read something flash by in my RSS feed. From Twitter, you mean? They Twitter or they Meerkat? No, Meerkat. Oh, well, yeah. They, I think they got another round of funding. I believe it was last week. And and the uh, CEO or, or founder was on a bunch of interviews and stuff like that. But <clears throat> again, it's just it's one of those things... First of all, I mean, aside from celebrities using it, 
I don't know of, you know, the average person of them streaming something, how interesting it's going to be. You know, I don't, I don't think people are going to stream themselves eating Chipotle every day. So I think no. it, really, it really depends on a popu- the popularity of the pr- people using it, such as Jimmy Fallon, celebrities, comedians like Jim Gaffigan. If they move the platforms, I'm sure, like you were saying, Victor, people are going to follow. But there is uh, th- this weird kind of thing happening now where people want to to view the world through other people's eyes and people want to uh, to to also exercise some sort of voyeuristic kind of thing. And it's it's been building for a long time, right? We saw this a little bit with chat roulette before it disintegrated into show us your boobs kind of terrible stuff. And we we see this now. There was an article on The Verge last week about people getting paid to let people watch them streamed live, do things like eating cereal. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, it's even taking a nap. And so this this whole thing uh, is growing. Go ahead, Sam. It's even older than that. Uh, I mean, don't forget that this is how Justin.tv got started, was him yeah. life-casting himself. Yeah, Justin.tv, so, I mean, Ustream, go yeah. on. It's been building for a very long time. I mean, it's, it's nothing new. It's, everything old is new again. Yeah, and Live I, streaming I, was, you know, five, seven years ago. Yeah, and I, th- I think, like, you know, if a student's in college, they're doing, like, a study abroad trip or they do some kind of crazy spring break thing, I think, the, you know, usage during a thing like that will probably skyrocket and all their friends, you know, will probably watch live. So there could be um, you know, applications there. What I'm curious is, so Twitter came out with Vine uh, a couple years ago, six-second video sharing, and then Instagram instantly added video to their app, 15-second video. Vine more than they came up with Vine. They did. Right. Yeah. Well, either way, however they got it. I mean, nowadays, I don't know about you guys, but I don't open the Vine app really. Like, I don't, I don't none of my friends are there, first of all. If my friends post a video, it's going to be on Instagram. And I don't know. I mean, I could see Facebook doing the same thing here with live streaming. They have a larger user base. Um, I don't oh, know. Of course. What's that? I think, we, I think we could do a pool on when their live streaming app will launch and what its name will be. <laughs> right. I don't, you know, Facebook did have a dedicated camera app before. I imagine it's still in the store somewhere. But that would have been a prime app to do something like this. They'll just shoehorn that into Messenger. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And that was another story we, uh, we didn't talk about it last week, or it happened this week. You know, Facebook announced that there's going to be a Messenger API, uh, you know, where businesses and brands can plug into Messenger and kind of build their own stuff there. But yeah, I mean, it's bloated. Facebook, all of Facebook stuff is bloated enough as it is. I mean, we couldn't even find the settings in, or the app update info in their Facebook app last week on the podcast. But I think of all the throw it against the wall and see what sticks ideas Facebook has had, Messenger for business is by far the best. It's a fantastic idea. I mean, yeah. the, the the possibilities for for enhanced customer service alone are immense. That is true. And now, I mean, Slack is the thing. Something companies are using now. So, I don't know. Evernote, if you, Evernote Trap tried to be a thing, too. But you can't get your customers on that. Every single Correct. customer is on Facebook. That's the way it is. Yep. That is true. Yeah, but I mean, well... We'll see. I mean, if it's anything like Facebook pages, you know, I run several Facebook pages for businesses and, you know, trying to reach your, your fan base that way, Facebook definitely wants you to boost every post. They want you to pay for exposure. So to use Messenger, you know, would businesses have to pay for that or would Facebook just give it as something like a service to use? I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, that's Periscope for Twitter. We'll see what happens there. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, uh, Apple buys, this was an article we ran this week, that Apple buys the uh, database software firm FoundationDB, and they also bought the other Akunu, is that how you say it? Yeah, I think it's Akunu. Akunu. They also bought the, um, that's cloud security, I believe, service. And so they're buying these cloud things, they're trying to get uh, increase their cloud presence and abilities. And obviously with photos for OS X, probably coming out of beta soon, maybe WWDC, we'll see that, and iCloud Photo Library coming out of beta, um, assuming at the same time, uh, hopefully they make some kind of announcement in pricing. I wrote an article a few weeks ago about um, iCloud Photo Library and storage, and I don't know about you guys, but I always have family and friends complaining about iCloud storage. And I've had, especially in the last couple of weeks, people ask me, hey, my phone is out of storage. I can't take any more pictures. 
I pay for iCloud space. Can I just move them there? And it just tells me that people really don't understand still what iCloud is for and what it does. And once iCloud Photo Library launches, I imagine more people are going to have to spring for the three, $5 a month iCloud charges. So do you guys experience that too? Do people talk to you about that? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people that talk to me are confusing iCloud storage with their iPhone storage. So right. you uh, get a taste of the uh, people that I'm surrounded by. <laughs> it has been really poorly articulated on Apple's part. Right. And, and like you were saying, Mikey, I get people say, I ran out of space on my phone to take pictures, but I've just bought 200 gigs of iCloud storage. <laughs> Why can't I take a picture? Um, so in light of that too, Amazon just announced today that they're offering unlimited photo storage for any mobile user, Android or iPhone for $12 a year. That's a dollar a month. What's that cost for an Amazon Fire Phone owner? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if there's, I don't, wouldn't even Sorry, know I had ask. to. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> wow. But so that's, it's $12 for unlimited photos, or they're even offering $60 a year for unlimited everything storage from photos and videos from your phone and I guess whatever else you want to put in the cloud. So obviously you have Dropbox, you know, they're $10 a month for a terabyte which equals $120 a year. So obviously more expensive than this. You have Google Drive, which has similar pricing, but also more expensive. And, you know, we were talking before the, we started recording. Yeah, people are probably not going to use these, like the average consumer, again, who's complaining that they don't understand iCloud storage, probably don't know and understand things like Dropbox and Google Drive. But if Amazon can offer this kind of storage at that kind of price, you would think Apple could do something for iPhone users. Well, so let me say this. People have a, a fundamental, fundamental confusion around synchronizing and file copying. And there are people that confuse the terms. There are people that think one is the other. Uh, and this goes back a long, long time. Uh, I first encountered it with people who had iPods, who bought their first iPod and plugged it in and it synchronized. And then they thought that, well, they could delete files from their iTunes library and save space on their computer. Wow. And because it's synchronizing, it would then delete the files from the iPod. And they were completely distressed when they'd go on a trip and find that they had no music because it was synchronization, not file copying. Right. Dropbox's real reason for existing is that it is synchronization. And they tell this to you. It's you put something one place and it's available on all your devices. They have an easy proposition to understand. Google Drive confuses this, right? Google Drive has the app that will make that happen, but they don't force it on you in the same way that Dropbox pushes it to you. So with Drive, it's just a big hard drive in the sky. But by the way, it could also be synchronization. You just don't know. Yeah. And now I, I actually use both of those. I actually have a Dropbox folder and a Google Drive folder on my <laughs> Mac. But, you know, I think, like you were saying with iPods, I think when people had to sync their phones with iTunes, they at least kind of understood a little more, at least what was happening. Like they understood like their phone has a finite amount of storage. They saw the colorful bar in iTunes and how much space was being taken up by music and how much space was taken up by movies. And they knew if that bar got too full, they needed to do something about it. But now, you know, people who just buy an iPhone, they don't have a Mac. They probably 99% never connected to iTunes. I know I really don't. Um, and then they just get this strange message saying they're out of space. So there was no warning. There was no ramp up. And then it's, again, they, they don't really offer a solution. Now, I, I know iCloud Photo Library, the idea is it'll sync lower resolution photos to the device. So it better use of your device storage and all your photos are in the cloud. But again, if people hear, oh, my photo's in the cloud, it's safe. And they start deleting photos from their phone. iCloud Photo Library, the way it works, is going to delete it everywhere. So Synchronization, not file copy. Right, exactly. I think it's worth noting that this is exactly the argument Apple has made for years for removing the concept of the file system from normal users. But This if, is exactly why it exists. Right, but I mean, we say remove the file system, but like photos, like there's, there's no files and folders that people are dealing with. They just see photos. So uh, not that I know exactly what the answer is, but I think people who 
you know, it used to be you can dump a bunch of photos off your phone into iPhoto or your computer and you save them either on your computer or on a hard drive and you know they're not on your phone anymore, but they're at least safely on your computer. They won't be unaffected. I feel like with iCloud Photo Library, if people have a Mac, they'll see their photos on their computer, they'll see them on their phone, and they'll think, well, they're on my computer so I can delete them. And then next time they go onto their computer, they're going to realize that photo they just deleted is now gone. So... I don't know, Shane, do you think, I mean, do you have like a better, do you think that's ideal or do you, do you have, think that better solution is out there? I, so, I certainly don't think it's ideal, but uh, I'm not sure that there is a better solution out there other than what everyone doesn't want, which is the cloud owns all of my data forever. Right. And that's what Google's, I mean, with Android, you know, if you turn on photo syncing with your Google Plus account, I mean, every phone you take on your Android phone is just saved up there. But if you delete it from your phone, it stays up there. And Google says, hey, you could put as many photos as you want. We're not putting a limit on it. I mean, that feels like it would be pretty ideal. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of iPhone users out there, and there'll be a lot of photos in the cloud. But, I mean, Apple has some data centers. They and, and, and apparently they, they also have a great database. database. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say, Shane? I just say exactly the same thing he did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Mikey. Do you have a? Do you just think the photo situation is perfect? Did Did anyone mention that um, Apple has a great database? Uh huh. Yeah. I oh. Think so. Oh. Okay. Dude, just check it. <laughs> I mean, I would love if at WWDC Apple was, you know, could just say, you know, videos are one thing, but every photo you ever take is safe. You know, because that's just what people want to hear. They just want to hear that no matter what happens to their device, whatever picture they take is going to be saved there's backup somewhere i think that even video should be done i mean what's backblaze getting out of a storage pod now 120 terabytes for four grand or something in that vicinity right yeah and i, I agree video should be there too i mean i understand if people are recording a bunch of you know 240 frames per second slow-mo videos that might be difficult to save i know i mean that eats up phone storage as it would have you know it would be cloud storage but i don't know if a lot of people are doing that anyway but I don't so know. I think there, there just needs to be a good value proposition explanation that encapsulates the whole thing in 10 seconds. You know, Dropbox is, is you upload it once and it's available on all your devices. Right. And if right. you delete it from your device, it's still in the cloud and safe. <clears throat> like I, I trust uh, Dropbox's selective sync probably too much. Like I have files up in the on Dropbox that I don't have on my Mac that are not on any Mac. Just selective sync. I never check the the folder, and I may need it one day, and I you know have enough room so I don't delete it. But you know, I just trust that it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you know experience so far has taught you it's okay to trust that. Right. Exactly. So I mean, one day it may bite me, but you know it hasn't yet. So so I tend to trust it, and I think I think that's what people want. You know, I, <clears throat> but anyway. Yeah. Well, what is Apple's ten second? You drag it up, and it's everywhere on all your devices. What? What, okay. what, what's their proposition for, for cloud, for iPhoto, for, for all of that stuff? They don't have one yet. It's, it's no. just too disparate between and iTunes I, Match and right, I, my, I, you know, it's, it's all over the place. My argument in my article, too, is you know, iTunes Match is a great service. $25 a year. I do it, and all my music's in the cloud. You know, there's just no question. And again, same thing there. I don't have all my music physically on a bunch of hard drives. I just trust iTunes Match won't croak one day. Um, you know, and I think that would be an easy definition. Like, hey, $25 a year, we save all your music. $35, $40 a year, all your music and photos, unlimited storage is just you're, it's safe. You know, safe forever. But you guys don't have a, a lot of opinions on this. I no, that's a good answer, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. You you laid that out reasonably well. $25, all your music. $35, all your photos. That would be wicked cool if they would do it. Yeah. And I think it would be easy. You know, when people buy an iPhone in the Apple Store, the Apple Store employee just explains, like, listen, here's your device. Apple Care Plus is, you know, $100. It protects your physical device. And then, whatever, iCloud Plus for $35, $40, it will, you know, Music, save all your photos, device backup. Done. Right. Yeah, exactly. Does that sound good to you, Shane and Mikey? I just want to know why it's not included for free with my $1,000 handset. Yeah. Yeah. But at least that one time, 
or even annual fee that's reasonable, I think it'd be easier to sell people on. And people would understand it, I think. But Hey, Amazon can do this great deal for 60 bucks. Why can't? Right, exactly. So we'll see. So also this week, Fantastic Cal 2, a new, a, uh, new version of Fantastic Cal for the Mac was released, and Victor had a first look. I've been a fan of Fantastic Cal for a long time. I've used their services. But Victor, tell us uh, what were your thoughts on it. So the traditional version of Fantastical, or Fantastical, as you're calling it, uh, is a menu bar item that lives on your Mac and drops down a small calendar and a small list summarizing your upcoming events and to-dos. The cool thing that has really made this an application that I've loved for years has been its natural language processing, which is mm-hmm. you can put in all of the details to your events in any convoluted order you can imagine, and it will discern them and create the event properly. Mm-hmm. So you can say lunch Mikey at 12, uh, April 21st, and it will suss out which part goes where and create the event. And it works with OS X's dictation. The, uh, the iOS apps, iPad and iPhone, work the same way. In this version, a couple of big things happened. It, it grew up from being a menu bar item to being a full-blown calendar application with day, week, month, year views. Uh, today widget for integration into OS X's notification center, and it really brings it all together. Uh, they also localized it for many, many languages, uh, English, French, German, Italian, Spanish, Japanese, I believe, and can do the voice dictation and natural language processing for all of those languages. It's just a huge leap forward and can be a complete calendar replacement instead of uh, calendar.app. Yeah, and I've been... Um... I had an early look at the at the second version, and I I love it. I think it looks great. Um, another cool feature they added were calendar groups. So mm-hmm. you can actually group certain calendar calendars. sets. Calendar sets, thank you. And so if you have certain work calendars and certain personal ones and you just want to quickly flip between them or show all or show a specific group, you can do that too. And you can uh, assign keystrokes to your calendar sets, and you can also set it up based on geolocation. So you can say that you have a work calendar set and a home calendar set, and they trigger based on when you're arriving or leaving a location. Yeah. And uh, so the full app looks great. The menu bar thing looks great. Um, I mean, again, it's just it's been my default forever. Uh, it is. Uh, it's $40 right now in the Mac App Store, and that's a sale for it's just being launched and it's going to go up to $50 after the sales over. So it's it's a little pricey. Uh, no, no it's not. You don't think so? Well, here's why. It developers time is worth money, right? This is their job, this is his thing. He spends all his time and effort building this product and 50 bucks for a piece of boxed software back in the day when you'd go to a store and buy a box was not ridiculous. That was fine. That was normal. Him charging 50 bucks for this product that he has poured how many hours of time into and all of his effort and gotten the results that he's gotten? Yep. Yes, it, it, you know, sure, OS X comes with a calendar app. And if that's good enough for you, great. But if you want more and if you want the natural language processing, you can buy this. Yeah. It's up to you to decide as a user whether or not this is expensive or not. But I, I think it's unfair to, to say that it's pricey. Okay, and I, I think will, you mentioned comparison to other offerings out there. I mean, there there are things that have come fairly close to Fantastic Hal. I know it's a it's a great app, but right, and in and, a land where things like this are usually free or ninety nine cents, it, it's a it's a yeah. pretty big step up. But I know, are, I know, are those the right prices? <laughs> would you, sorry, should, would you say should sh- everything in the world be ninety nine cents, and should developers? have to either get full-time employment somewhere else or no, starve. No, no, no. Yeah, well, I mean, you may, yeah, I agree, but I mean, that's the way, <laughs> yeah. that's what the App Store has has done. And I'm, I'm, I'm on, Victor, I'm on your side. I mean, I think developers should be able to charge that amount, for again, for quality products. And like, for one password, I paid $50 for. That's a $50 and app. And has it been store. worth it? Definitely. That has definitely okay. been worth it. Um, tweet, TweetBot, I think I paid $20 for the OS ten version. And if they release the the new version of Tweetbot whenever that comes out, and that was twenty twenty five dollars, even thirty dollars, I'll probably get that. Uh, I mean, I definitely will because that's just and my default. That's the reason why this launch pricing mm-hmm. is set at the uh, the thirty nine dollar is because there right. isn't a good upgrade path for consumers through the App Store. 
So he's discounted it for people who've bought version one. And he's given the same discount at his own web store, flexibits.com, because he doesn't want to do something that's unfair to one set of customers. You can't you can't do one thing for the App Store customer and another thing for his website customer. Yeah. As far as he's concerned. So I mean, so I think no, he should not have charged three dollars. That would have been low. Should have either charged twenty-five dollars, maybe that would have been low. Again, you know, one password brings an extreme amount of value is a you know, pretty, it's, it does amazing syncing over iCloud with all my devices. And Fantastic Cloud does that too, although they plug into the back end of the calendar you're using. That's not a back end they had to build. So, you know, I, again, 1Password brings that. Uh, I should say that, well, but 1Password also plugs into the back end of iCloud or, or Dropbox. Yeah. So that's not a back end they built either. Fantastic Cloud is using CalDAV and they're using it for iCloud, Google, uh, one called Frooks, which I'd never heard of before, and, hmm. uh, and Yahoo. And, they're, they're doing this because they're places that you may already have a calendar established. You more than likely have an iCloud account already established on your phone, so that's a default good one to use. Um, yeah. And there's, there's some benefit to them not building the whole widget all the way around that from the beginning because you want them to focus on the application they deliver, that natural language processing that makes it so good, and not right. running a calendar backend. And I will say <laughs> there are a number of apps that have the same natural language entry now. So... I mean, Tempo for iOS does that. Uh, Sunrise for iOS does that. Uh, as far as OS X, I'm not so sure, but there are other ones. Shane, were you going to say something before? Probably, but as long as I that. <laughs> Sorry. You know, the, the thing about this one's natural language processing as opposed to the others is that uh, they, they keep working on it, they keep uh, improving it, and they, they take user feedback very seriously about uh, input that doesn't work. And I have, I have uh, found different times that I've tried to input things and been able to defeat its understanding of what I meant to do. And yeah. uh, they've taken that comment on board, those comments on board, and improved it based on that. Yeah. Anyway, I, I do agree. It's a great app. And I would say, you know, it's, it's definitely worth it if, if you're not happy with the stock calendar app and would like something that's really great. Again, it's my default everywhere on mine iPhone, iPad, and, and Mac. So, so definitely take a look at that. Uh, I did want to mention real quickly another, not so much an app that launched, but another addition to the service, Square, who's started out as a mobile payment processing and also does invoices and all that. Square Cash was an app that's been out, I think we talked about it last week, where you can send your friends a few dollars through the app just by using a debit card. Actually up to 1000 Up to $1,000. It actually launched a web component where you can get your own URL, URL, cash.me slash the dollar sign and then whatever is available that you get, you know, your name or whatever. And uh, people could send you money through the website just by entering their debit card number, an amount, and an optional memo, and uh, you have money. And uh, it seems pretty crazy. Have you, know, you tried this yet? I mean, I have not. Or I, I did try the web once. Right, but have you received any money yet? Uh, not through the web, no. Okay, so cash.me slash dollar sign marks, M-A-R-K-S. Are you telling people to send you money? <laughs> and we will report back yeah, okay. how the experience goes. Uh, please make a minimum donation of $100. Thank you. No, um, you know, it's Thank just... You, Stephen. It's very kind of you. <laughs> uh, I, that's right. I should have mentioned my URL. No, uh, but I think this is just an amazing service. Again, I use, I've used the, the Cash app, and I know there's Venmo and other apps that do the same kind of, you know, money transfers. But uh, the fact that it's on a web, you know, especially if you're a freelancer or something like that that just wants to get paid real quick, or even something for donations, I mean, it seems pretty pretty ideal. And again, no transaction fees for personal transactions. Businesses pay like 1.15% uh, per transaction. So pretty crazy. You know, and with Periscope coming out today and the Square Cash app, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have said you could send people money <laughs> through the internet and live stream from your phone, it uh, seems pretty... Well, we had PayPal 10 years ago. Yeah, I was just about to say that PayPal was... Uh, yeah, but it was... Hell, PayPal used to pay you to join. They'd give was, you like five bucks if you signed up. But it was nowhere as easy to do it. I mean, to create an account, you had to give them a checking account. And it wasn't so much like you just give them a link and they put in their debit card number and send you money. You know, it was more of a process. Even now, if you pay via PayPal, if you don't have a PayPal account, it's basically just like checking out of any other online store. So, even if you do have a PayPal account, it's still horrendous. 
Right. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like here, no cash account is required. People just go to your URL, type in $10 and their debit card and number, and then it's done. So. Well, and doing it through the app on the phone is really slick. I will give yeah. them that. Right. The onboarding I, path is good. And you could even use Bluetooth LE to discover people nearby. So if you're not directly connected yet, you can you know send money that way. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. It's pretty cool. Feature. And that that's also interesting in light of what's going on with Facebook, where we discussed last time the, the right. payments going into Facebook. Yeah, still not giving Facebook my, my money. Nope. You trust Square over you trust Facebook. Absolutely. Because Square, Square has gotten me paid for the past three or four years. Has it now? I mean, that's what I use, you know, when I do freelance work or, you know, I help somebody with a website. I mean, that's how I tell people to pay me. Huh. And now... See, I was, I was trying to explain Square to the fellow who mowed my lawn. Yeah. Right? Oh and <laughs> Mike, you already knows exactly how that went. Okay, now I explained it to my pool guy and had the exact opposite experience. You have a pool guy? Yes. It's an above-ground pool. It's not anything that glamorous. freelance stuff's going all it's right. It's not glamorous. Don't. And there's Damn. a huge dent in it because a tree branch <laughs> fell on it. But anyway, um, I took my pool guy. It was the only physical check I had to write every month. You know, you pay everything else online. You don't have to do any of that with my other bills. So I was like, buddy. So you guilted him into taking Square. I did. I said, buddy, I've been sending you a check. I'm tired of it. Can you just download this app? So I can send you money. I'll even send you like a few dollars more than I'm supposed to if you do Awful this. Awful human being. You I gave him more money than he was asking. And so he was like, yeah, all he had to do was download the app and sign up. And now I was paying him uh, with Square Cash. It was perfect. <laughs> Sorry y'all didn't have that experience. but None of this cool stuff works where I live. So I, you know, I really have to find friends back in the U.S. who need we my money. And that's few and far between. Hey, I'm right here, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, where is, I mean, Square... We, we should mention that, that Square is a U.S.-only thing at this time. Okay, it is U.S.-only? Okay. Uh, Square Cash is Square a U.S.-only offering yeah. at this time. Gotcha. As the same thing with Apple Pay, so hopefully... Although Apple's I can use well, Apple Pay here. Apple Pay is, is moving again. Yeah. Apple yeah. Pay, the, the actual payment parts are built on standard stuff, uh, MasterCard, PayPass, things like that. So any place that NFC accepts, tap to pay, yeah, yeah, any place that accepts PayPass or or whatever Amex's thing is called or Visa's PayWave, I can use it. PayWave, <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, we have people in Europe that told us they can't use it. And, I think it yet, depends on the processor. Depends on, yeah, it depends uh, on who's processing the. Uh, uh gotcha, yeah. gotcha. There was a uh, a retail location that I went to the other day, and I was teaching them how to do uh, Apple Pay on their point of sale system, and they had tourists from Germany in who used Apple Pay huh. because one of their point of sale pin pads worked brilliantly and the other one was a different model and did not and I had to school them on what to press first to make the other one work. Oh, okay. So if I find a Walgreens in Siberia, I should be able to use it. Is that what we're saying? Mm, potentially. Maybe. Potentially. Okay. <laughs> Depends what they've got for a point of sale. Right. Okay. For our last thing, there was a rumor we ran this week. Apple to launch three iPhone models in 2015, including a four-inch handset once again. Now, I use a 6 Plus, so I am... Let me, let me stop you right there. I want to ask okay. you. So if they're launching three models, how many models are in the whole range of iPhone? Are they going to keep around the former models as well? Is this like a six-model range now, or what? It's going to be like the iPad? Mm, I mean... The 5C has to die, I would think. I think that would not... First of all, I'm sure they want to get Apple Pay on every phone they sell. Touch ID on every phone they sell if they can. Right. So I imagine 5C has to go away. Mm -hmm. 5S, I doubt that they would... I don't know. If they do anything this September, I would think, obviously, the current 6 and 6 Plus stay around as the $100... Starting at $100 tier thing. The 6S or whatever... Maybe the 4.7-inch screen starts at 200 and maybe the 4-inch 6S starts at $100, maybe. But then I think for the lowest line, maybe they make a new version of the C, maybe the 6C. So it's still the plastic back, but still has Touch ID and uh, Apple Pay. Maybe. Any predictions? Well, I mean, they're probably going to, they're, they're obviously going to shift everything down like they always do. You think they'll keep around the 5S with no Apple Pay, though? Um, I'm not sure about that. 
Can we they update it the same way they updated yeah, iPad no, they, Mini? Well, no. No. Well, I guess they could. Will have to be. An, they'd have to add a security element, but I don't know if they well, would I mean, do that. Look, look, look at the market segmentation there. If you assume that the 5S becomes the low, the free iPhone, how many people who are targeting the free iPhone are also going to be using Apple Pay? Hey, if the bank offers it, man, why not? Yeah, I mean, they Wells don't have Fargo's on board. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I, what proportion, I mean, there's no data on this. There's no way to really say it. But what proportion of the people who uh, go for free carrier-subsidized phones cross over with people who are unbanked or who otherwise you know, are not in this target market? I don't know if they're, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they're too worried about pushing Apple Pay that hard mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that is going to, you know, it's going to actually dictate their uh, hardware lineup. I, so, I, mean, I think they really want to push Apple Pay as hard as they can. If they, well, yeah, but I mean, not at the expense of actually putting, like, you know, Shane said, I mean, that's kind of a gamble. I mean, they, they might have data on that, but it's, why would they create a, uh, like a, a secure element iPhone 5S for people who most likely won't even use it if, you know, if, I, if, that that's the, the last part of that sentence is the questionable part. You, you're presuming that most people won't if that is the case. And I, I say, um, I don't think that's true. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, <laughs> it, it, Apple Pay has been, it's been successful. But I mean, it's, of the data that we've seen, it's been skewed towards um, people who, you know, shop at right, and so stores and stuff like that. I mean, do Partly that's your early adopter and also where the point of sale systems are at this moment. But the point of sale systems are growing day by day. You say, I mean, McDonald's is one of the biggest partners. Yeah. And they're not, they're not seeing the kind of, well, I mean, it's in relation to their, you know, overall sales, it's not anywhere close to somewhere that whole, whole foods is, is uh, supposedly getting, but they, they said they're bringing in from Apple pay. Right, but it's also I mean, like, right now it's a it's a niche. It's obviously a niche service, but and a, I don't know if. So what do you do to pre- to prevent it from staying a niche? But it's a, it's a chicken you and egg big. thing. It's a chicken and egg thing. You're saying like, okay, people who have the money to buy the more expensive phones, so they shop at the more expensive stores that have Apple Pay, and that's why it works that way. Well, it's but, not necessarily the fact that they have more more or less money. It just may not be that they care about that kind of thing. I mean. A lot of people that get smartphones get it because they either have to or because it's it's free over there, and they're they have no uh, no concern over whether they can pay with their phone at you know to pick up their their drugs at Walgreens. I yeah. think this is a good point, um, backed up by some data that came out actually earlier today. Sixty percent or sixty five percent of people who own a smartphone do not download any apps. Really, and yeah. it's those sixty to sixty-five percent of people who probably don't care all that much about Apple Pay. Yeah, I or, mean, it, you know, it's similar systems. That's true. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to get all frothy about it just because um, you know it's an some new service. A lot of people that get smartphones and stuff. I mean, a lot of people that I know um, who don't care about tech or anything to have have to do with that segment or that industry. They don't. They either don't know about it. And even if they did know about it, they're like, eh, well, what's wrong with the, you know, cash? It's going to be, well, no one pays with cash, first uh, of all. I pay with cash every day. <laughs> uh, Boom. Yeah. Asia. Asia, yeah. right. Yeah, but the, the U.S. is largely a cashless society. People use swipe cards all the time. And I would say that the first time you get your credit card stolen, that you're going to go ahead and, and your bank's going to say, yeah, but... You, can you use Apple Pay? Hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I don't know you don't, I don't understand. Know right? no, no, your fiscal much... card number gets stolen, right? No, no, no. I don't know if there's much data to say that we're... Uh, yeah, a lot of people use cards, but I think a lot of people still use cash, too. I but... don't think so. I still see I people writing the, checks, the, the cash society is much larger than you believe it is. Mm. All right, here we go. I think you have to... It, there's a lot of inside baseball going on, right? With, right. with things like Apple Pay. We make a big deal. By we, I mean um, early adopters, nerds, the tech media. We make a huge deal of stuff like this. But society, by and large, doesn't care. I mean, they really don't. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll accept yeah. that, yes. Yeah. 
I'm gonna find some data here and talk about yourselves. At the same time, this is uh, I, I how to say I genuinely believe that cash is far outnumbered by swipe transactions. Well, I mean, I don't know. Do do retailers even release that kind of information anymore? It's kind of hard to track cash transactions. I mean, you can. There's numbers and there's data behind swipe cards. And the the plural of anecdote is not data, right? Yeah. But I can tell you from my experience living in both Hong Kong and Japan, and Japan being the literally the inventor of mobile payments. Okay. Even with the easy availability of Mm -hmm. tap and pay, I have an octopus card in my wallet that I can use to pay for the MTR, I can use to buy water at 7-Eleven, or I can use to pay for dinner at a restaurant. The vast majority, even having the octopus, even having the octopus hooked up to my credit card, the vast majority of my transactions are in cash, specifically because it's faster and in many cases easier. Okay. So I have have some stats here. Oh, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Here, the yes. Apple Pay transaction is faster than the Swipe transaction. It's definitely faster than the EMV transaction. Okay, but here's, if we're talking about who actually cares about it, here's a poll. Creditcards.com took the poll fielded by Princeton Survey Research. Uh, this was July 2014, so just a few months ago. And on average, over 60% of Americans use cash more often than cards when making a purchase. By age group, Obviously, the 50 to over 60 uh, is closer to 70% use cash more than they do cards. It's and the boomers. A- ages 18 to 29 is still less than 50. Per- it's less than 50%, but it's around uh, 46% use cash. So and we're talking still a large percentage of Americans use cash. And a huge well, percentage of those are low-income unbanked consumers. What are there, almost 100 million unbanked consumers in the U.S. now? Really? Well, it, it, this does say another statistic the study says that those who have full-time jobs are more likely to use, um, you know, like a debit card attached to a bank account. Um, but yeah, so. They, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, getting their, they're getting their cash probably. Checks are direct um, deposit, you know. Yeah, direct deposited one, whereas, you know, like part-timers or, you know, grifters or whatever right. might be getting paid grifters. under the table. Grifters. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Oh, I'm bringing that word back. All right. I don't, I don't know if you meant to say drifters like uh, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know. No. But, okay. So if Apple doesn't care about Apple Pay, back to the original question. The four. So do people inch still want a four-inch phone? So do people still want a four-inch phone? And I it, do. Yeah. Okay. Shane does. So what is your your case for the four-inch? My case for the four-inch phone is simply that it's much much easier to handle. I love everything about the iPhone six. I really do. Except for the camera bump. I hate that very much. I love everything else, but it's right at the edge of the acceptable size to hold in your hand. Okay. Yeah, I have to balance my, I mean, I have, I have small hands, or, um, and I have to balance my six when I reach across the screen. Um, and I was kind of hoping that Apple would, you know, come out with something that, some UI trick that would uh, help me out, but uh, double tapping on the home button is not really working for me. Well, and that only really works top to bottom anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, that doesn't help for typing. I mean, I, we should talk to Neil. I mean, he's like the four-inch iPhone advocate. Really? Yeah, Actually, I loves... think he's the three-point-five-inch iPhone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's going to take he's going to take the Apple Watch display, and he's going to he's going to somehow graft it to his iPhone, <laughs> so he we may... can have ultimate. Mobility. I mean, so I have the six plus on the complete other side of the spectrum, and I, I was—I don't know—I I pre-ordered it without even looking at it in the store, which is probably foolish. But after obviously using it since whenever it came out, September, um, the battery life on the larger phone is for me a huge selling point. I used to have to charge my 5s, you know, every time I drove home from work. I plugged it in, otherwise it would die, and you know, shortly after. So the battery life. Camera, you know, I guess you could put a better camera in a smaller screen size, and that wouldn't matter. But, I mean, I don't know. It's the bigger screen size. People want it. Yeah, I think there's. The f- Go ahead. I was gonna, I was going to say that I think there are two schools of people, right? There are the people who don't care about having to use two hands with their phone, and the people who really don't want to have to use two hands with their phone. 
Yeah. And, I, and, and I that's where the split comes. I don't know. Do you know anyone who uses two hands to type? Um, many, many, many yes. people. I mean, I, well, do. I, live, I live in Asia. I live in the home yeah. of a seven inch smartphone held right. to your face to hide your entire head. So. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, if I'm, if I'm not doing anything with my other hand, I'll type with two hands, but I've kind of learned to, I don't want to know. I've, <laughs> I've learned to like flip the phone almost on its side in four fingers and be able to reach with my thumb and it looks crazy and I'll probably drop it one day, but, uh, it kind of works, but, and I did try, there's some third party keyboards that came out after the six plus came out that like, like just go to one side of the screen. So it's the size of what a five S keyboard would be, but it's just squished on the, on the six plus, but it never really worked great. But you know, ever since the first iPhone launched in 2007, there were always rumblers and rumors that Apple was going to make an iPhone mini. And we saw Chinese factories turning out fake iPhone minis as a way of showing that. And, and what it took seven years to realize was that Apple had always made the iPhone mini. It was just the one they sold to everyone. So what would they... Okay, let's say they do come out with a 4-inch uh, phone that's new. That's not just a 5C or 5S. But it's a 6S, or it's a 6, that's 4 inches. You'd have the 6S Plus, I assume. 6S Mini. Oh, they haven't used Mini for, well, I guess iPad Mini. Aha. Uh-huh. So well, I mean, well, they, well <laughs> the rumor, if we're going off the rumors, they're going to have, they're going to limit the 4-inch phone to the, the C model. But right. you're saying if they bring in like a, like a 4-inch, they just slap a 4-inch a screen on, the innards of the 6S, is that what you're saying? Well, or the 6S Plus? So, so when the 5C came out, it was the $100 model, I believe. Is anybody really clear on the reason that they did the 5C? Johnny Ive. Really? I mean... It was, was really it, sexy plastic. Did people just yeah, want colors? I mean, wh- why? What was the? Re- I would really be interested in knowing the What's interesting logistical is, reasoning behind going to a completely different shell versus what they'd done the entire Every history. person I knew that bought a 5C knew, because they really wanted a 5C, was a designer, was an was a industrial designer. And I, I knew a few of them, and they just, they all, the day it came out, oh my God, that. And they went out and got it. And they yeah, I totally tried. agree. It's beautiful. Right. So that was, that was the point for them. The only other people I know that have 5C are people that bought it for their kids. I actually I, know a lot of people who have multiple 5Cs and color match them to their outfits. Wow. Oh my well, God. I think, yeah, that's crazy. I, think, I, I like that kind of budget <laughs> very much. I think <laughs> color was maybe one reason, but I also think it was, the 5C came out. Um, at a time, well, I'm trying to think now, did the 5S, it was the 5 and 5C that came out at the same time, or was it the 5S and 5C? 5S and 5C. 5S, 5C. Okay, so I think they probably didn't want to, it would have been the 4S, well, I don't it, know. It would have I been the 4S, know. the 5, and the 5S. But instead of keeping the 5 around, they moved it to the 5C. Right. And yeah. it was just, it didn't have Touch ID, and yeah. Well, maybe it was a maybe it was an experiment. Maybe try to see um, what kind of demographic they could target with that. Right. Maybe for for younger well, people, but I don't know if it they was would also do it a again. cost down measure. Right. The uh, the plastic cost less than the metal or glass, and I I'm, I'm a, lost the mists of time and memory, but I think that the five C on specs was part four S and part five, not uh, not well, just remanufactured five. Right, we've so this was a cost savings cost, measure. We've always yeah, said no, it was I, a cost saving measure, but is it yeah, was yeah. it really a cost saving measure? Because we're still selling the four in some places and the four S in many places, and those are made of glass and metal. I don't know if it was. The I think four, the design holds up, though. Yeah, I think it was the four inch screen five C. At the time when they released it, maybe they couldn't sell an iPhone five for a hundred dollars and still make the profit they wanted to. So instead of putting the five at the hundred dollar price point, they just you know, switch it to plastic so it's cheaper to make and keep their profit margins. I mean, that's something I could think of. But if they were to do that now, would they make it a plastic again? Would it be a 6C? Or would it be... I don't know. Would they would they try and have that 4-inch phone fill the free tier? Or would they have it fill the $100 tier and share that with the current iPhone 6? So know. I'm not, by any means, a manufacturing specialists 
but I suspect holding an iPhone 6 in my hand that the metal case is the cheapest part of this mm. by a significant margin. That's true. Yeah, compared to the screen and all the innards, I would imagine so. So I don't know. So so Shane, you would get a 4-inch. Mikey, what would you do? Um, I'd probably say, well, I mean, I've already adapted to this 6, so I'd probably just get this one. It's still a little big for me, but mm-hmm. uh, I can handle it, I guess. So we know Neil would go with the 3.5-inch screen. Yes. And uh, Victor, what would you do? I'm sticking with the screen size I've got. Which is? Four? I'm, I'm using the 4.7-inch at this time. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I would still I would stick with the big one because I kind of got used to that by now, and I don't know, the battery life is enough for me to keep it around. But anyway, well, tell us what would you want if you would comment in the uh, podcast post when it goes up listeners and readers and tell us would you want a four inch phone would you keep the uh stay with a 4.7 or 5.5 inch so all right well thank you guys for joining us this week so shane where can people find you on the internet Uh, you can follow me at apple insider all right and uh, mikey where can people find you uh at mikey campbell 81 on twitter very good and victor I am cash.me slash dollar sign oh M-A-R-K-S. Uh-huh. <laughs> or can, at VMarks on Twitter. Is there a way you can take someone's money with a cash site? Can you put like a negative number? I'll try it out. No, no, just kidding. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steven Robles. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to leave a comment in the uh, I, or, uh, rating and comment in the iTunes store. You guys, uh, again, keep us in the rankings. So thank you for that. And, of course, you can leave a comment on the post. Talk to us there. And, of Follow Apple Insider at Apple Insider on Twitter. And you can send us an email, news at appleinsider.com. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.